Hey, and welcome back to the Where Do We Begin podcast. I'm Jackson. And I'm Harper. And today on the podcast, who do we have, Harper? We've got the great man, Alex Johnson. It's going to be big, this one. Yeah, it'll be really huge. Very interesting story, Alex. Very keen to get into it and learn all about him. Yeah, lots of people know him for his ACL injuries and the kind of hard luck story, but we really want to get kind of into more a personal, intimate kind of know him as a guy, not yeah. just for his injuries. Yeah, he's not just a guy who's got a dodgy knee. And that's definitely what we try to do in the podcast anyway. Um, so last week, who did we have, Harper? Dan Garb, I think, if memory serves me correctly. Yeah, Dan Garb. Um, very interesting. Uh, a lot of points on his life and his career as a journalist, um, especially how to use Twitter as a journalist. It's, if you're not on Twitter as a journal or in someone in media, you should you should get on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we've got Twitter. We're some of the biggest names in the business. <laughs> and um, he raised an interesting story about dead goat polo out in Kyrgyzstan, I think it was. And I've done a bit of looking into it over the last week. <laughs> it's called Cock Boru, I think. And they ride around in their horses and they try to kick a, a goat carcass into a goal. Oh, that so, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, no if you have, on at the moment, have a watch yeah. of the cock borrow. So, if you haven't checked it out, go back uh, into that back catalog. Um, yep. Very good, very good interview. Uh, as we said, Alex this week. So, let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's rip into it. Okay, now on the phone, it's everyone's favourite 47-game premiership player. It's Alex Johnson. How are you? It's not too bad at all. Thanks for having me. Oh, great to have you on. Yeah, so, thank you. I, I don't know about everyone's favourite <laughs> <laughs> premiership player. That's a, that's a good one, actually. I might use that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so can you tell us just a bit about your early life, just starting, did your brothers and sisters, childhood? What was that like? Um, yeah, I had, a, had a bowler's childhood, I suppose. Grew up in a really close family in, in Campbell in Melbourne. Um, I was the youngest of three, so got a sister who's six years older and a brother who's just a couple of years older than me. Um, Mum and dad, and yeah, just yeah, really good fun. A lot of good, good fun, good uh, childhood memories. A lot of holidays away and um, those types of things. So yeah, there's, there was there was nothing to really complain about growing up. It was, it was all pretty smooth sailing. Into footies from the start. Yeah, into footy from the start. Probably started I was kick when I was five or six, and I was only a, a little tacker back then. So, mum sort of held me back from the early, from the under nines um, and under tens competition. So I, I used to sneak off to my brother's training and train with him, and managed to sneak in a couple of games when I was only eight or nine, I think, in his team. So playing a couple of couple of years ahead, and um, and then I sort of, and then I think mum, the fear went out of mum, and she uh, she let me join my own team, and yeah. Joined the, the Hawthorne Six Footy Club from I think under tens or elevens and played all my juniors there and uh, yeah I've got some really good memories and we had some success down there which is which is always nice. So you went to Xavier College, which uh, a lot of AFL footballers have come from that particular school. How important is the sport there as well as the education? Yeah, I think it's massive. I think I think Xavier, in terms of the emphasis they put on sport, was a big uh, reason behind why mum and dad. Um, sent us there. Dad's a he's a Wesley College boy, and um, I think he sort of would have hoped that we would have gone there. But in terms of the location of, of us being in Camwell and Xavier only around the corner in Kew, um, it made sense for us to for us to go there and do school there. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's a great school. I'm, I'm back involved with Xavier um, in the last 12, 12 to eighteen months, which I've, I've really enjoyed. And yeah, it's 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 a, it's an awesome school in terms of the the education is obviously. 
you know, right up there with the best in the state. And then, and then the sport aspect of things as well is, is pretty highly emphasised and it's obviously compulsory uh, under the APS banner. But, yeah, that was the, the reason I love my my time at Xavier was, was the sports side of it. And uh, you get to play against really good players from other teams and other schools and those types of things. So, yeah, it was it – was, um, I, I, I look back at my schooling with fond memories. Did you feel too much extra pressure there because of that competitive footy environment? No, not at all, really. I think it's. I think it brings out the best in you. And uh, obviously, some guys would have felt uh, the pressure more than others. But no, I just enjoyed it. It's. I mean, you look back on, you know, year eleven and twelve. You get to play with some of your closest schoolmates and run out in the week every weekend and, and play footy and stuff. And it, it's it's awesome. It, it sort of relieves the pressure of school a little bit. And and then um, yeah, you can you can try and taste success, I suppose, and, and enjoyment, which which we didn't have too much of. When I was coming through, unfortunately, but um, yeah, it was still still great times and great memories. So, also playing for the Oakley Chargers with uh, big name Andrew Gaff. How was that experience? Yeah, it was great. Um, I, I love my time at, at Oakley. You, you sort of first get involved in that footy program down there at the age of probably fourteen or fifteen, with with a couple of the summer um, footy camps that they run, and then. Under 16s, you, you start to represent them a little bit, and then under 17s and 18s. Um, I, I was young for my year 12 years, so I had a full year of playing Oakley in my first year of uni, which which helped me a fair bit. And yeah, played with the likes of Andrew Gaff, who's obviously gone on to have a great career at West Coast, and Ryan Lester is at Brisbane, um, Alex Brown who went to Essendon, Pat Carnazes who went to Brisbane and Collingwood, and yeah, there are a few other guys that ended up on this there. So you, you end up playing with. Um, with some with some great players there, and I uh, I love my under eighteen year there. That was you know the only footy club I had during that year. Pretty much, I played there every week, and um, yeah, we, we were reasonably successful, which was which was pleasing. How competitive is it within that kind of under 18s, the club specifically? Because you're all wanting to get drafted. What's that like? Yeah, I think it's it's something that I sort of tried to change a little bit. I think because obviously it is a pathway program and. You know, a lot of guys come in and it doesn't really feel like their home club. And with the with guys that are doing Year 12 and at APS schools, they're obviously that's their number one priority is schooling and playing for their the school respectively, I suppose. So I, I tried to make it as much of a club environment as, as we could and we tried to get together and, um, you know, make it feel like a local club almost. And I think that was really beneficial in, in terms of I still speak to a lot of those guys now and, you know, we'll always have that, that bond of playing together. Um, obviously, there is a competitive nature to it but I mean no successful team doesn't have that element of competitiveness to them you know or else they'd sort of get lackluster and uh and and probably just fall by the wayside so you did mention you went to university while you were playing for Oakley what did you study uh started a business degree which uh, eight or nine years later I managed to finish which was good but um yeah it took took longer than most but yeah obviously um doing that on the side of playing footy and training and those types of things, I was, I was pretty happy to finish that. So, yeah, it was a business degree with um, with sports management as well. So, yeah, something I was I was interested in. So, drafted at pick 57 in 2010, were you always confident that you were going to get drafted? How many clubs did you speak to? Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. You, you are reasonably confident without – obviously, I didn't – I wasn't 100% sure. I spoke to probably 14 – 13 or 14 clubs, so I knew there was a fair bit of interest out there, but you, you're never really sure until it actually happens, and 
you know, you, you hear horror stories of, of guys that have gone before me that, you know, thought they were going to get drafted and spoke to every club and never ended up getting picked. So everyone, you know, every club has their own formula and, and has their own plan going to the draft and those plan those things sometimes don't go to plan. And, um, you know, I had a fair bit of contact with Sydney before the actual draft. So, yeah, I was, I was wrapped when they... Uh, when they call my name out of pick 57, it is a it's a unique experience. It's, I mean, anyone that you speak to that got drafted, you know, it's they sort of all got similar stories, I suppose, in terms of how they find out. You either find out on the TV or by a phone call. And I was just sitting in the lounge room with with my family, um, and you find out on the TV. It sort of just flashes on a little banner across the bottom of the screen, and um, that's it. it. You know, your your life changes forever, I suppose. Were you particularly nervous walking into Sydney with still heaps of premiership players there from a few years earlier? Yeah, no doubt about it. It's, um, I mean, I, th- I think you'd feel nervous walking to to any club. I was, you know, an eighteen year old kid, and yeah, you're walking in and you you've got to start competing with these guys for a spot. Um, you know, twenty two players only play every week, and you're walking in there's forty six, forty seven on a list. So you've got to start to you know prove yourself pretty early. Um, it's yeah, it's, it is unique. The the first sort of month or so, you just find your feet and um, and and just try and earn the respect as quickly as you can. That was my number one priority. Walking in there was was to learn off the older guys and and try and earn respect as as quick as I could. So you made your debut in round three against the Eagles um, a few years ago. At that point, you played the the two teams played each other in grand finals. Is the was the rivalry still as big? At that point, when you debuted, yeah, I think so. Obviously, you speak of the '05 and '06 uh, grand finals at Sydney and West Coast. You know, had unbelievable battles, and both games were decided under a goal. Um, but yeah, it was. I think there's always that that rivalry there, given the history. Um, it's one of the probably one of the toughest assignments in footy to go over to Perth and and play at you know what used to be Subiaco. So that was a daunting experience in itself. I I, I sort of hadn't. I had my sights. I just wanted to play one game, really, in my first year, and, and that was sort of it. And I didn't. There's no way I thought it'd come in round three, so it was it was pretty surprising that that it did come as early as it as it came. Um, but yeah, it was it was an unbelievable. Like West Coast were were a pretty good team that year, and I think you know we won the game by 13 points in the end, and uh, it was it was yeah it was pretty special. It was a it was a really special way to enter into the AFL and start my career and, um, you know, family and friends were there and, yeah, it's a it's a huge occasion and as a kid, that's all you dream of, really. You, you dream of playing AFL and um, it sort of couldn't have started any better for me. Can you talk us through the specifics of the game? Like, who did you play on? What was your performance like? Uh, yeah, my performance wasn't great. <laughs> uh, it was odd. The plan, the plan initially was to... Um, was to go over and play against Jack Darling, who was drafted the same year as me, so we were both 18, 19 years of age. And, um, yeah, that sort of does, footy doesn't pan out as, as you plan it to. So I ran out and lined up on Quinn Lynch, who was probably 20 kilos heavier oh, than me. And, the Q-stick. Um, yeah, with his glove, the intimidating man he is. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that sort of was an ideal start. And I think he kicked four in the first half, which wasn't, you know, wasn't all completely my fault, but... Um, yeah, it's it's daunting coming up against men, and um, you know it's the first time I played against men, so you're sort of you're not sure on how you'll go. But no, I worked my way into the game, and I finished all right. But you, you've, I played on a, a number of players that night, 
um, you know, Quinton Lynch, I did end up playing on Jack Dying. I remember playing on Mark Nikoski, who, who gave me an absolute earful for majority of the majority of the game. And, and then you're coming up against the crowd as well. The, it's a pretty hostile crowd over there in WA. And, um, yeah, they were relentless all night when, you, when you're playing down the back line. So I always find it interesting interviewing players, asking about who they supported growing up. You haven't actually said it, but going up against that team, how is it now you've, you've become a Sydney player? Yeah, so I, I grew up a Melbourne supporter, um, which didn't bring me too much joy as a kid. I remember going to the 2000 uh, grand final against Essendon and Melbourne got absolutely smacked that day. So, you know, I was a pretty disappointed kid walking away. But, um, yeah, it, it was it was interesting. I remember my first so – in 2011, we played Melbourne round one, so I obviously hadn't played yet. I made my debut a couple of weeks later, but that game was a draw, which was sort of – which was a bit surreal for me, I suppose, growing up supporting that team. And then obviously seeing all your mates out there, your new teammates um, coming up against them and having a draw. And the I played Melbourne a couple of times and, yeah, we beat them by – I think we beat them by 100 points the, the time I played them first. And I was, I was pretty happy about that. I've, I've sort of forgotten about Melbourne, um, you know, since, since my childhood. So there's no affinity with them at all? You don't take any more interest in them now? I'll take interest because I've got a couple of mates playing there, but um, no, nah, not really. I, I I sort of have looked from the outside and, um, yeah, I, I just – the way they've done a few things over the years, I you know, don't don't agree with too much, I suppose. That was from a supporter point of view. And, um, yeah, my, my life will, will always be with Sydney because of what I went through in the years I, I spent with, um, you know, I, I playing for them and working with them. So from that debut against West Coast, 45 games in a row, all the way up to the 2012 grand final, confidence must have been sky high then. What was that feeling like? Uh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. As I said before, you, I sort of went in as a skinny 80 kilo kid, not not really sure where I sat, you know, within the Sydney team and within the AFL ranks. But yeah, to I played 20 games in my first year, and then obviously played. Every game in 2012, it's yeah, it's it's what you want to do. It's how you want to start your career. You want to go in, and uh, to this day, I've never been dropped. You know, from an AFL side, which is which is unusual, I suppose. There's a, you know, majority of guys, even guys that have gone to play 200, 300 games, would have been dropped at some point early in their career. So, I was really lucky that they backed me in from from the start. And um, yeah, it's a, it was the those first two years, 2011, 2012, were. We're an absolute dream start to, you know, what I would, was hoping it would be a long and, and prosperous career. So, obviously, moving into 2012, you guys made the grand final. How was that feeling as a second-year player? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I'd, I'd grown up going to a fair few grand finals with the family. Um, obviously, being from Melbourne and, you know, loving going to the MCG as, as many opportunities as I could. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, really. We... 2011, we were okay. We played in a couple of finals. We got, you know, badly beaten by Hawthorne in the semi-final, and then to go into 2012 and, um, you know, going along okay, middle of the year, not really. You know, you don't really sort of have those expectations, I suppose. You know, within the four walls, you talk about it, and the, there's a chance that you could be successful, but there's never really that expectation that you know we're going to be. And um, I think we finished third that year and went over to Adelaide for the first final and had a tough task against them, had played them once during the year and, you know, only lost by five points, I think. So to 
to go up against them. We did a sort of one zero in that season, but we knew where we'd gone wrong and we were pretty confident that we could get the job done and we ended up doing that. And then beating Collingwood in a prelim, which we hadn't beaten them for seven or eight years up in Sydney. So yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing really to, to get into a grand final and that whole week sort of seems like an absolute blur and um, seems, yeah, it seems like, an, like a lifetime ago now, but it was amazing. And I just tried to soak it up as much as you can. Um, and yeah, it was the way it panned out. Yeah, it couldn't have been, couldn't have been better. Now, I had a listen to the Fat Side podcast a few weeks ago. I'm not sure if no. Jackson has, but you told a little story about Mike Pike and the grand final parade. Can you let us know yeah. about that? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I I don't know how many people know this, and I, I actually spoke to Mike after that podcast got released, um, and he, he we had a bit of a laugh about it. And me and Mike, we get along really well and speak every now and then now, but um, yeah, you're referring to the grand final parade, which is – it's a strange thing in itself, but it's just obviously a tradition within the AFL that you know both teams are in a parade on the Friday through Melbourne City before the game, and um, we had a training run at the MCG, and we're on our way uh, to the to the parade. And I remember Mike sort of going up and talking to the team manager, and one of the boys it filtered back through the bus that he was requesting to change cars, so he was in a car to ride with me for the duration of the parade, which I'm mind is only sort of half an hour or something. I couldn't have done too much damage to him. But uh he was yeah, requesting that he be changed and get swapped out. So he was swapped out of my car and Dan Henry was swapped in and um which was a great result for me. And I think he went with Lewis Roberts Thompson, who's a bit more a bit more laid back and a bit more casual than what he thought I was. And um yeah, but I remember rocking up to the grand final and to the parade and it, it started raining a little bit and the AFL officials were had a Stanley knife out and were cutting my name off the the sticker with my name on it on the use and swapping it over and I just thought oh, I can't believe he's gone to so much effort to because he you know he didn't want to sit with me that badly that he's gone to all this this effort to get a change <laughs> so yeah it was a, it's a it was a strange one really and Mike liked his things uh, you know how he wanted them he was he was pretty regimented in how he wanted things to play out and um, sitting next to me wasn't a part of his plan so. He, he made sure that he got that change. <laughs> uh, something must have spurred that on because you guys did end up winning that grand final. How was that feeling? How was the ecstasy of it? Yeah, it's it's everything you hope for and more. Really, it's uh, it was it was unbelievable. I think it was. I think I saw that it got you know it was top ten or, or something in um, greatest games of all time. And yeah, that's what it felt like. You know, they were on top early, and then we came back, and it was just a seesawing game the whole time. But um, yeah, you, when you when you're out in the field. And, it was almost in front of a hundred thousand people um, to to win something like that, especially when we were such heavy underdogs going into it against a you know formidable Hawthorne team. Really, um, it was it was just unbelievable to do it with with those twenty one other guys was really special. And you know we've we've got a bond for life now. And it's yeah, it's just I'm really proud that I can look back and you know obviously it wasn't a career that I'd I'd hoped that it would have been, but to look back and always be able to call myself a premiership player and always have that medal, it's really special. And, um, yeah, to do it in the way we did makes it even more special. Any post-season holiday stories that stand out after that season? Well, there wasn't – I was only 20 at the time, so a lot of the boys ventured over to Vegas and uh, I thought about getting a fake holiday and going over, but, no, I kept it pretty low-key, just, just caught up with schoolmates and – 
Um, just did a few different things around Australia, I suppose. But yeah, I, I missed out on the big, the big Vegas trip that a lot of the boys did. And um, yeah, hearing the stories, I, I would have loved to have been that that little bit older. And uh, you know, the legal age in America is twenty one, so I would have loved to have got over there and um, carried on with them. But no, I definitely, definitely had my fair share of celebrations. And that week after, with with all the boys, is it's uh, it's it's pretty special. And there's some unbelievable memories and stories from that week. So. Yeah, it was, it was great. Now, you've had your fair share of knee injuries in your time. First one, first ACL, in a pre-season match against the Gold Coast in 2013. What was the feeling when it happened? Did you know straight away? No, I didn't know straight away. It's um, Yeah, it was the first full pre-season I'd done, I suppose, and I, I put on a little bit more weight and, you know, obviously had the, had the 25 games of 2012 to, to go off the back of and felt really strong and, and good going into – um, you know what? What I was hoping to be a breakout season. Really, I sort of finally felt comf- comfortable within the ranks of the competition. Um, but yeah, I just turned off my left about ten minutes into that game out of Blacktown in in the western suburbs of Sydney, and um, yeah, just felt a pop. It's excruciating for about thirty seconds to a minute, and then it all subsides. You can you can get up and run around, and I remember sort of running around and jumping in the change rooms and trying to convince the doctor that everything was all right, but. Um, yeah, it was it was it was pretty clear that he was pretty adamant that I'd done the ACL. It was really loose my knee, and there was no endpoint. Um, and anyone who's done their ACL knows that you need an endpoint in your knee. Um, so yeah, he he was really confident. Said you've done your ACL, and it's just one of those things that you like. You, I've never really experienced much, you know, you know, any significant injuries growing up. So to have that and to sort of realise that you're facing twelve months out is it's a pretty hard pill to swallow, um, you know, when, you, when you're ready to launch into your, into your career, I suppose. Yeah, so obviously the 45 games in a row, now you're on the injury list. How is that sort of rehab for you? Um, yeah, it's uh, the club gave me a couple of weeks off, so I flew back down to Melbourne and spent some time with the family and just, just tried to, you know, sort of piece together what we do, I suppose. I, I did my knee on the 9th of March and, had surgery on the 21st of March in 2013 and had a traditional knee reconstruction and with using a hamstring graft. And um, the, the pain after that was just horrendous, really. The, you, it feels like you've torn your hamstring and, and your knee's been open as well. So you're just in absolute agony. And I was in agony for probably two or three weeks there. And uh, you sort of start to think, you know, there's no end point for this. And things that sort of the initial uh, recovery period of that, of that surgery, you know, went okay. Um, there were a few few minor signs there that, that things weren't going that well. Uh, I managed to get back running probably three and a half months later and with an ACL yarn for sort of that three-month mark where you can get back running and then you can start getting back into things. Um, and then my knee sort of blew up and I, I sort of proceeded to have another surgery and then, um, yeah, another – it ended up being a dozen surgeries on that knee followed in the in the sort of three, four years later. So, um, yeah, it, it, what was meant to be just, you know, hopefully 12 months out of the game and an opportunity for me to, you know, work on my game education and get a bit stronger and then come back in and have an impact, um, yeah, turned into three, four, five years pretty quickly. Yeah, well, obviously you've had that recurring knee injury in your left knee especially. What was the, like, physiological problem with the doctors I was telling you about? Uh, the, it's sort of it dates back to the first surgery I, I ever had in 
in March 2013, and it's it's supposed that there was a I, I got an infection from that surgery, and um, what that infection actually was is has never been clear even to this day. It looks like there might have been some type of of staff that is that lives on the outside of the skin, but if it gets into your um, into your knee, then or into your body, it can cause problems and cause inflammation and fluid and those types of things, which means you 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 know your muscles and joints don't respond as they should if they've got um, too much fluid around them. But yeah, it's a it's one of those things that you're never really sure. And you know, I'm not medically trained in any way, although I feel like I am now after after the journey I've been on. Uh, you just you're in the hands of the doctors and you're sort of just listening to them and and hoping that what they're doing is the right thing. So yeah, I went on different courses of antibiotics for, you know, across three years. Um, I was admitted to hospital probably three or four times with um, to go on IV antibiotics, which is the strongest form you can get. And, um, you know, nothing really seemed to beat this, this this bug that was in my in my left knee eating, eating away any graft or any type of ACL that they put in. So it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a frustrating period of, of always sort of taking – you know, two steps forward and one step back, and and that's what it it felt like for uh, for majority of of those years. So you played in 2014 for the Sydney Reserves for one game, and then did your ACL again. Was that just like um, I I wouldn't know how I would go with doing it straight away again? How did you fight back from from that? Obviously, yeah, it was it was on. A, I was meant to play the the week before that. The uh, the AFL side had a trial game against. Brisbane and I was going to fly up and play play that with the team but yeah I don't know for some reason held me back and I played the, the week after with the reserves um, against JWS out at their new new ground out there and yeah it was sort of seven or eight minutes in I'd, I'd had a reasonable start to the game and felt like I was back to playing footy again and then I just jumped and landed and um, my knee buckled under me. In saying that whether I was you know, 100% right to play. I'm not a, not sure. Looking back, I, I, I ticked like I ticked everything off during the preseason, but I was getting um, fluid drained out of my knee twice a week, and the amount of fluid that was coming out of my knees, you know, not I think in a normal knee, you meant to have two or three mil, and I was getting, you know, sort of minimum 100 mil a week drained uh, drained out. So there were definitely signs there that things weren't right, but every sort of I passed every test and jumped through every hoop I had to to get out and play again, and um, you know, whether it's the game intensity or whatever it was, I just I wasn't able to stand up to it and um yeah, went down with went down with the, the second time I'd done a knee. So and then you start to assess your options and see what um you know, see what you can do to try and get back out there quickly and you know, that was I had a Lars in my knee at that point, um, which is the synthetic ligament which gets you back in a third of the time of what a traditional reconstruction does and so I tried another one of those and yeah, that didn't work. The infection was still in there and underpinning all these surgeries. Um, in terms of what that does to your motivation and mental health and stuff, it's, it's not great. You're, you're finally at a point where you think you're, you're back on the road and back on the path of playing footy and again. And, um, you know, it's just sort of ripped, ripped away from you straight away. So you, you've got to go back to the drawing board and, and start all over again. And um, that's what I, I sort of found myself doing you know, five or six times throughout that throughout that journey now speaking of mental health how much does the club help you with your mental health as you're going through that long rehab process yeah they're they're really good to me i i mean i sort of i was never 
they always said they'd stand by me. And um, I mean, there's only so much they can do, really. You you're in there training, and a lot of the time you're training on your own, and um, you just a lot of the time I was training for no point. Really, I was I was just training to stay fit. I I couldn't run. I didn't run for two and a half years there, and um, you're just trying to yeah just stay motivated and stay fit so you can. Once you get the opportunity to get back, however long that'll be, um, you'll be able to get back. But, yeah, the, the club have got all those things in, in place to, to try and help you. The, the best thing I did was try and get away and get on holidays and remove yourself from the situation a little bit. And they were really good in terms of letting me write my own sort of schedule a little bit. Um, you know, that gave me the freedom to go away and, and do sort of what I wanted to do a little bit. So, yeah, I, they were really good throughout the whole journey. Um they, they always stood by me, and I think that's that's the best thing they can do during those times. You mentioned holidays and overseas trips. We've got a little audio grab from a moment that we believe you are at. That's the all-time leading scorer for the Dutch. The ball's dangerous. Oh! Tim Cahill. Can you believe it? He's done it again. <laughs> Tim Cahill equalises for Australia and produces another golden moment in World Cup football. Now, being in the crowd for that moment, how special is that? Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I've always been a bit of a soccer fan growing up, and love watching the English Premier League and those types of things. And yeah, it was a it was an opportunity I took up. Uh, I had a few mates who had planned to go over there for two or three years. I think that you know to get over to, to the World Cup in Brazil in 2014, and I jumped on last minute and they had a spare ticket to every game. So yeah, it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty special to get over there. And, those are things that you wouldn't get the opportunity to do, um, you know, if you had a, if you were just playing footy normally or anything like that. So you got to, you got to uh, look at those things and look at the silver lining, I suppose. And um, yeah, I was really lucky to, to, to be there. I think we we're only four rows back, right behind that uh, strike, and it was, oh. yeah, it's one of the one of the greatest things I've ever seen on a, on a sporting field. Who did you support? Uh, Manchester United supporter. Oh, they've gone down a bit since Fergie left. What do you make of all that? They've, they've been absolutely horrendous. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've done a, I've done a little bit of, I've done a sort of few coaching courses, and the the one that the one person that I've studied a lot is is Sir Alex Ferguson, and he's, uh, you know, obviously he's left a massive hole in that in that club. But you know what he did for twenty six or twenty seven years is, uh, is is pretty impressive. Have you been to any games over in England? Uh, yeah, I got to Stanford Bridge uh, a few oh, to be years ago. I haven't been, haven't been during the season for a while. But um, yeah, I, I got to a Chelsea West Ham game once, and that was that was pretty special over there. They, they support sport like no one else really. It's it's so passionate and colloquial, and um, yeah, it was, it was pretty impressive to see. So, in your time out of the game. You became the assistant coach for Sydney Reserves. How was that uh, getting into the coaching side of the game? Yeah, it's it's something I never thought I'd do. Really, I've, I've always been a pretty uh, terrible watcher of sport, and and hate being on the sidelines, whether it's you know by choice or through injury or whatever it may be. But one of my great mates, Ray Shaw, took over when he retired um, and became the the reserves coach at Sydney. And he, he came to me and said, "Do you want to do you want to help me out?" And and that's what I did. I I was pretty much his assistant for for eighteen months there, and I loved it. He was he was great. He, he was learning himself, um, 
So, you know, I, I feel as though I was able to aid, his, aid him a little bit um, and we just worked through things together and it was it was really good for me. It, it gave me a purpose again, I suppose, and that's something that, that guys struggle with and I struggle with um, in the first couple of years. Out being injured, you, you lose your purpose, your purpose, my purpose – in Sydney was to play, you know, play AFL footy and that had been taken away from me. So to have a purpose again and try and help these younger guys and fast track them and, um, you know, hopefully see them on a on an AFL field sooner rather than later was was a big priority for me. And, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And the coaching side of things really does interest me, especially the development side. Um, I love helping young guys come in and, you know, helping them get to where they want to get to. So you've done a bit of development coaching at Northern Blues as well. Uh, is that your preferred kind of thing to get into now? You're done with footy? Uh, yeah, I think I'm not 100% sure really. I, I, yeah, I took a role last year with, with the Northern Blues and my main priority last year was to get back and play, um, which I did halfway through the year. But yeah, I, I just, I suppose I, the development side of things does interest me a lot. I'm not sure whether I see it as a long-term thing or a full-time career. I think I'll always stay involved in footy. I think I'll play for the next, for however long I can until I can't walk probably. Um, I'm that stubborn, but I'll, I'll definitely stay involved in coaching in, in some capacity, um, you know, in, in the future. So at the end of 2016, you were delisted by Sydney and then picked up in the rookie draft. Did that sort of give you confidence that the club was still with you? Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it did. Um, as I said before, they they'd always stuck by me. Um, it was the first time I've been delisted by them, and it's an unnerving period. You're not 100 percent sure. I knew that I knew that I were reasonably, you know, confident. But as the years go on, you know, I, I can't fault them for for losing confidence in the fact that I'd get back. I'd had setback after setback, and hadn't stepped on a footy field in you know a number of years. So uh, for them to lose confidence was no surprise, really. But they'd they sort of promised me that they would um, redraft me and, and give me another shot at it. And, you know, I was, I'm really forever indebted to the fact that they did that. It's, at the end of the day, a, a footy club is a business and I hadn't been, you know, overly beneficial to the business, um, you know, in terms of on-field playing minutes. But um, they, they sort of always stuck by me and their support was unwavering. And then in 2018, round 20, came back against Collingwood of the SCG. How did that game compare to the Premiership? Um, yeah, I've been asked this question a few times. It's it's an interesting one, I suppose. The, the biggest difference for me is, is experience and, and knowledge and, um, I suppose, perspective, really. I, at the age of 20, when, when we won that flag against Hawthorne, I, I sort of – everything had come, you know – reasonably easy you know obviously playing AFL footy is not easy but in terms of how my transition to the game had gone it had been smooth sailing you know I hadn't missed a beat since I debuted and those types of things and um that was just another game it was just you know just roll on from the prelim and just just another week in footy really whereas you know the game against Collingwood was um was something that I'd worked for for five years to get back out on an AFL field um you know, five or six years being out, I played a little bit of needful footy at the end of 2017 and a little bit in 2018. But, um, yeah, to, to finally be back out on an AFL field is is something that, you know, I never forget. And I'd, the amount of work I'd put in to, to get back for that one game, you know, severely outweighs the amount of work that I, I did for the grand final. So, um, you know, I was, it was unbelievable, really. It was 
it was pretty special. It's yeah, it's it's the most memorable game I've got. So as most of us know, the next week came up against Melbourne. Did your ACL again, and that image that just sticks in my head is Nick Newman in tears with you walking off the ground. How sad were all the boys really uh, around you? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It was obviously it was yeah. I was probably you know everyone knew my story after that the Collingwood week. The amount of I'd never had that much media in, in my life and didn't realise how big it was. And um, you know, obviously we we won the Collingwood game by two points and. Coming down from the high of that and um, the ecstasy that goes with that, with winning and being back with with your teammates and playing again. But yeah, the, the very next week it was eight days later at, at the MCG. Um, you know, a really important game for the footy club as well against Melbourne. And to go down, it was yeah, it was it was devastating. It was um, yeah, I think the the whole crowd you know was was feeling for me and the amount of messages and those types of things I got on social media in the in the weeks. You know, following on from that was was unbelievable. The support I had was huge, but yeah, my teammates were were amazing. Really, they. It's one of those things where when you're not going through it, how do you react? And I've had teammates go down with injuries, and you're not sure on what's the right thing to say and all that. And yeah, they were they were just there for me, really. And it was um yeah, it was it was heartbreaking for everyone, and you know, my family as well. Were, I spent the majority the rest of the, that game. Um, in the depths of the MCG in a medical room in the Swans rooms with, with my immediate family. And we just sort of sat there and not many words were, were, uh, you know, conversed between us, except for probably a few swear words that would have been, uh, warranted in that situation. But yeah, it was just, it was just horrendous. Really. It was a horrendous start. And that injury you got, it was your right knee when you'd only done the left knee before. Was it the same physiological reason or just really bad luck? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those things that you're not too sure. Of. I mean, I've, the, my surgeon who's done my last few ACLs is Julian Feller, and he's arguably the best in the business, the best in the world. He um, he's amazing at what he does, and his knowledge is second to none. But he sort of we sat in a room, you know, the week a few days after that, and he's like, I, I sort of can't explain it to you. He said the more the more he knows, the less he knows, really, and he's forever studying um he said he'd, he'd probably coming towards the the back end of his career i suppose but um he's just continues to study as to why these things happen and uh it was a deceleration mode i, I was chasing jesse hogan on the boundary line and just went to slow down really quickly and it's when yeah sort of femur goes above your, your tibia and fibula and that causes too much stress on the acl and it causes it to rupture so it's it's one of those things that puts too much stress through it and it gives way, um, you know, whether a lot of people say that if you do one ACL, you'll end up doing this, the next one, you know, in, in years to come. And that sort of, that proved true for me. And it's proved true for a lot of other guys that have done it, but there's also a number of guys that have done one and they've never had an issue with anything else. So yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure, but it is what it is. It's just one of those, one of those things that was, that was just bad luck. So you were delisted at the end of that year by the Swans. How did you find out? Uh, you find out. So I sort of, I'd had a few conversations with them. I, I knew they were really keen for me to to development coach and to step right, to step straight to that role for the for the 2019 uh, pre-season and season. But I sort of wasn't keen. I felt as though that I could get back and play. And I'd, I'd had a conversation with the surgeon. And he he said, "What do you want to do?" And and we had a bit of a conversation that I was like, well, do you think I could play? And he said, yeah, absolutely. 
this is your good knee if you get that right. You've only had one surgery on it, and then you've got two strong knees, two strong ACLs. So there's no question if you've still got the desire to do it, we should we should aim for that. And that's what I wanted to do. Um, I found out you find out those things, the delistings. I had a couple of meetings um, with with Tom Harley, who was a football manager at the time, and, and John Longmire, the senior coach, obviously. And, and they just said, "Look, we're not we're not going to go with you. We we think your playing days are done. We'd love you to do the coaching side." And it was a pretty clear decision for me. I I wanted to keep playing, and um, they weren't going to offer me that opportunity. So yeah, I parted ways with the footy club, and um, you know, shortly thereafter, I packed my bags and moved back to Melbourne. Um, so yeah, it's a, it all happens pretty quickly. It, it all happens really quickly once you had the start when you get drafted. At, you know, in November two thousand and ten. I got drafted on the 18th of November and I was living in Sydney on the 21st or 22nd or something. And then, yeah, I got delisted at the end of that year in September and um, I was I was back in Melbourne in October. So, yeah, it all it all sort of – it all starts and finishes – you know, finishes as quickly as it started. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things that that's, that's how footy goes. So, as I mentioned before, 47 games, one goal. That, does that goal against Brisbane – is that extra special? Now you know it's your only one. Oh, absolutely! I, I grew up as a Ford, actually, and I used to kick bags as a kid. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just having the one goal next to my name—that's that's enough. It's, it's better than zero, I think. So I'll take it. Overall, you played forty-seven games, which is a fair amount. It's more than a lot of players. But considering you probably could have played so many more, do you feel at all hard done by? Uh, I think it's it's one of those things that you. You know, I, I I set my sights on playing 200 games or more. You know, after my first two years of playing 45 games and a and a premiership, I thought, how good is this? I'm gonna I'm probably gonna go on to play 200 games, 250 games, and win. You know, three flags. You that's what you start dreaming of. Um, obviously, that didn't go to plan. Um, yeah, I, I do. I, I sort of I don't feel hard done by at all. You've got to play the cards you dealt. But yeah, I, there's no. Every now and then, you know, I sort of feel a little bit jealous. You know, I had sights on on leadership. I would have loved to have captained the footy club. That was my plan after the first couple of years. And, um, yeah, I would have loved to have been one of the sort of premier defenders in the competition, which I, I thought I had the ability to do. Um, but, yeah, it, it is what it is, really. And I've learned, you know, a hell of a lot from the journey I've been on. And, um, I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that go on to do all those things. And the one thing they say that they missed out on was a premiership. So, there's always going to be elements of, of anyone's career that they feel as though they, they're hard done by. And, um, yeah, it, I've got a unique story. I've got a unique career. And, I mean, whether, you know, majority of the competition were, were dealt the cards I was dealt, would they have been able to actually get back and play against Collingwood like I did? I'm not sure they would have. So I'm really proud of, of what I was able to achieve with, with the, the circumstances I was given. So moving to the Northern Blues, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, it was a. I sort of had a couple of opportunities to come back. I think the big one was was development coaching. There were a few development coaching roles at different AFL clubs, and they they would have given me the ability to play, but not in sort of the capacity I wanted to. So I uh, I had a meeting with with Carlton, the Carlton Footy Club, and the Northern Blues are the the reserves team for them, obviously, and um, knew a few people down there, and had a conversation with Josh Fraser. I'd never met before but heard great things about and he's really well regarded in the industry um, and yeah we hit it off and there was a no-brainer for me I'll, 
ones to get back that were going to give me all the all the possibilities to get back and play and and see where I could take my footy again. And um, they gave me great resources and facilities and those types of things. And um, yeah, it was great. It was great working under Josh for for last, for the first half of last year. And um, I learned learned a lot off him. And then managed to get back and play ten games at at the end of the year, which is you know the most footy I've played in you know since the 2012 season. So um, it might not seem significant for many because. Majority of competitions have 18 or 20 games in them in terms of local level and under the AFL. But, yeah, the fact that I could play 10 games and felt really good and strong again was was really pleasing for me. And the uh, obviously what's going on now and the Northern Blues have, have folded now. So I'm not sure what, what the second half of this year or what, what my footy will look like going forward. But, um, you know, that'll all play out once, once you know, society deals with the, the current situation. You weren't at the club for... Too long, too much of a long time. But how much did that affect you, the club folding? Oh, I think yeah, I was really invested in the in the footy club. It was a really young group of players that that I'd come in and hopefully made an impression on, and hopefully helped um, in in some way. Um, and I got to know people that had been involved in the footy club for you know thirty, forty, fifty years, and you hear them talking about the history of the club and where it's come from and and what it means to them. So. Yeah, it's it's shocking, really, when when something that um, you know, something a, an organisation or a club or a business or whatever you're involved in shuts down. And um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what that what that looks like in terms of there's been talk about you know potentially could they get something going again that, that would keep keep the affiliation to what it used to be the Preston Bull Ants or something like that. And um, yeah, it's absolutely shattering and. I look at the work. I'm, you know, I mentioned Josh Fraser before. He was a massive reason as to why I went to the footy club, and he's been let go from from that, you know, coaching capacity from the Carlton Footy Club. And you know, I, I think what he's done and where he's got the, the the club to, we we were in a position to hopefully have a real um, real crack at the VFL season, and you know, try and get some success for that club that that's sort of been starving for it for for such a long time. So you had a chance to get back into the AFL in the mid-season draft. And just on one more thing on the AFL, um, do you think if you were at a side that wasn't as successful as Sydney, you had a 70% win rate when you were at Sydney from the games you played, do you think you would have persisted with all those rehabs if you were at a Gold Coast or something? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. I'm not too sure. Really. I mean, obviously, you know, Sydney was the only AFL club that I've been involved in. And, yeah, this success was undeniable, though. It was a... It was a successful culture from the moment I walked in, and it's pretty clear on what you need to achieve and where you need to get to. Um, but I think, yeah, knowing me, I, I think I would have persisted. I, I grew up wanting to play AFL, and you know, the, the years I spent out in rehab, I wanted to get back and play AFL. So, yeah, I think I definitely would have would have persisted. It's, um, I don't know, if circumstances are different, you don't know what you do. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd probably back myself in to, to persist again if I. So with the VFL not being 100% professional, what are your other interests outside of the club? Um, as I did a bit of coaching stuff last year. Um, I did some coaching stuff with Xavier. I did um, sort of a bit of private stuff and then did um, was doing was working with the, the VFL program as well. But, yeah, there's no doubt you've, you've got a lot more time on your hands in terms of stepping out of a full-time environment, which, which I didn't mind. I, I, I loved being able to just take a back seat a little bit, and that's what I did last year. Um, 
the, the big thing on the horizon for me is, which obviously this the stuff going on now with the coronavirus has, has put a bit of a hold on, is um, I'm going to open a cafe with my brother. So we've got a few plans in place for that, and that's that's sort of the next the next challenge for us. Um, so I'm not sure what that will look like yet, but I think when when everything's up and ready to go again, we'll we'll look to launch that and and see how we go with that. Yeah, well, you're clearly a bit of a hipster into your cafes, and you're also into your cycling, uh, cycling uh, 115 k's down the Great Ocean Road for the Cadell Evans People's Ride. How did you get into that? Was that in rehab? Yeah, it was. Oh, I, I sort of grew up cycling a little bit. Uh, I grew up doing triathlons and those types of things. Um, so, yeah, like like my cycling. But, yeah, it was an opportunity that, that came about um, at the end of 2018. I, you know, met some people involved with that with that race and uh, they got me on board for the 2019 version of it. And, yeah, I loved it. I've, I've grown up going down to, to Lawn on the Great Ocean Road for – my whole childhood really so to, to get down there and ride along with no cars was 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 pretty awesome and a few mates joined me and um yeah it's i still cycle now it's a, it's a great way to to get out and um you know it's one of the reasons you can leave the house in this climate so i try and get out as much as i can um but yeah it's it, it was something that when you can't run for such a long period of time the only thing you can do is sit on a bike and uh you know it's much nicer being out on the Great Ocean Road than, than what it was, you know, in a dungeon under the SCG in Sydney riding on a stationary bike. So, yeah, I loved it. It was it was awesome. It's an awesome event that they do every year and, um, you know, I'll look to, look to do it for years to come. Now it's time for what everyone's been waiting for. It's our last segment. Quiz. So, Alex, you're going to be going up against Jackson. Five questions yep. uh, on things a bit related to your career. So, your name is your buzzer. Just buzz in and, yeah, here we go. Question one. So, Bill Shorten, famous politician, he was a graduate of Xavier. For how many really? years? Yeah, he was. <laughs> For how many years <laughs> was Bill Shorten leader of the Labor Party rounded to the nearest year? Alex. Alex. Three years. Three years is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Brand new sound effects, using them to full capacity. Perfect. Jackson, you want to buzz in? Uh, let's go five years. Five years. You're close. It's six years. It's five years, seven months, but <laughs> it's closest to six. So question two, Alex, Alex's old teammate that we've heard a bit about, Mike Pike, he was born in Victoria in British Columbia in Canada. Can you tell me the capital city of Canada? Alex. Alex? Vancouver. Vancouver is not right. <laughs> oh, God. You said you listened to the fat side. Did you hear my quiz on that? It was terrific. <laughs> oh, yeah. Heading for a similar... Hopefully you've been practising a bit, mate, after that display. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't worry. I haven't been going too well either, Alex. <laughs> um, uh, it could be one of those trick ones, like those cut, like 
um, like Brazil where it's not actually the biggest city. Um, Ottawa? Ottawa's correct. Yes. <laughs> oh. 1-0 Jackson, good stuff. Okay, question three. You played most of your AFL career in the number 34. Can you name just one of the players that is in the top 10 for most games played in the number 34 in the AFL? Just one of the top 10. Alex. Alex? Troy Luff. Troy Luff just sneaks in. That's correct. <laughs> He's at 10th, 155 games. And uh, played over 150. Who's the most? Yeah, Ben Hart, Adelaide player, oh, three yeah. hundred and eleven. Uh, and Jamie McMillan, current North player, yeah, yeah. is on one hundred and fifty-eight. Uh, Jackson Pies fan might know Alan Tuvey, one hundred and fifty-nine. Uh, David King, of course. Uh, yeah. You might know Jeff White as a Melbourne fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's second. Uh, John Kennedy as well. A few others. Okay, uh, question yeah. four. Uh, is it? One, one, yeah, it's all. one or it's one, one all. Okay. Sydney has got a pretty decent song, Cheer Cheer, The Red and the White. Can you tell me, most of the footy songs are based on another song. Can you tell me the name of the song that Sydney's song is based on? <laughs> Radio Science. Uh, Jackson? Jackson. Is it the Notre Dame fighting song? I'll give it to you. It's the victory march of uh, the university in Indiana. So I guess they just use it at their college football and all that. So two one Jackson, but no idea about Al- that. Alex, you've got a chance <laughs> to get up here. Uh, so it's, this is a who am I? I'm going to give you some clues. First clue is going to be worth five points if you want to buzz in then, and then it's going to go down all the way to one point. So five, four, three, two, one. Understand? Yep. Okay. All good. So Alex, your birthday is March the second, and I was born on March the second, nineteen oh four. I can tell you this person isn't really associated with Alex's career, just had the same birthday. So <laughs> Yeah, right. Nah. No no takers? Okay, I'll go to four points. I was born and raised in Springfield, Massachusetts, the son of Henrietta and Theodore Robert Geisel. <laughs> no idea? Okay, we'll move on. Stretch, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I think you'll get it. I didn't want to make him too easy after that one with Dan Garb the other week. But uh, for three points, I died on the 24th of September 1991. And over my life, I was an animator, a filmmaker, a screenwriter, a children's author, a political cartoonist, an illustrator, and a poet. Jackson? Jackson. Is it Walt Disney? It's not Walt Disney. Or- Jackson, you can't buzz in again until Alex gets it wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's a huge chance for that. So, Alex, you're one point down. You're going to have to get it with this clue if you want a chance at victory. We have a little audio grab from uh, just before your debut. I'm a competitive guy, so I like to beat my opponents. <laughs> you love beating your opponents, but it's not looking good. <laughs> Doesn't look like it at the moment. <laughs> okay, let's let's give it a go. 
So I wrote my books. I'm most known for writing books. And I wrote my books with multiple pen names, two of which included Theo Lesigue and Rosetta Stone. But these aren't the names I'm most well known for. Oh, I think I know who it is now. Oh, no. Alex, you want to have a crack? <laughs> what were the two names that you wrote under? Oh, I, don't think, I don't think you'll know them from these names. It's Theo Lesigue and Rosetta Stone. No, I've got no idea. Just want to have a stab at a political cartoonist and a children's author. And Who died. What year did they die, I guess? Died in 91. So if you get it wrong, you can always buzz in again. But then you open it up to Jackson. Uh, I can move it on if you want. And you can, yeah, go, for, you can go for the draw. Okay, for one no, point. <laughs> playing it safe. Okay. For one point. Some of, you've got to listen carefully because I, I almost guarantee you'll get it here. Some of my most famous works include The Cat in the Hat. Oh, no. Dr. Zeus is correct. Oh. Well done, Alex. He salvaged the draw. We had a little applause, a crowd applause queued up. (laughs) I don't think either of you are very deserving of it. (laughs) Oh, I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Had a shocker there. (laughs) Um, That's terrible. (laughs) Big fan of Dr. Zeus. Yeah, obviously, huge fan. Yeah. <laughs> know everything about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you a green eggs and ham man or more the cat in the hat? More the cat in the hat. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, good stuff. Strange, but yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that just about wraps us up. Thanks for coming on, Matt. No, no worries at all. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you so much, yeah, mate. Brilliant. Cheers. And how good was that, Harper? Ripper. It's pretty good, eh? Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, obviously, Alex didn't have an, an like a very great career, obviously not 200 games, but the way he sort of fought and fought and fought to come back, even though it didn't really work out, was just amazing to hear. Was it like eight, eight years, I think, at, on an AFL list, but only 47 games? Bit of a tragic story, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yes, thank you to Alex for coming on. Definitely yeah. really appreciate it. Yeah, and so our little uh, post-interview segment today, uh, we're going to be chatting a bit about some really good players who didn't play too many games for whatever reason. You, anyone come to mind? Uh, one that really comes to mind just off the top of my head, Jack Anthony. Jack Anthony, yep. Well, uh, just those few years at Collingwood, and then I think he played for Freo for a little bit. I think he got traded to Freo. It might have been in the trade to get back Chris Tarrant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, Jack Anthony is one that springs to mind. I don't know, I'm not 100% sure how many games he played, but it seemed like such a short amount of time. Yeah, um, John Coleman went to my school uh, and he only played, I think, 90-something games. Yeah, 12, right. go- 12 goals on debut. Well, that's a fair amount of games, but for such a talented player, I think he just got – Worn down by injuries, really. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, but obviously common medal named after him. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, <laughs> um, who else have we got? Oh, uh, cult hero of Essendon, Nick Comer. Do you remember him? I've no idea who that is. Never heard of him. He had a big frizzy hair. Uh, he was really good for like maybe one season and then he got he got injured, out for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Came back, played a few games. Wasn't the same. Oh, got unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Paul, look, I've seen him out and about a bit, Nick Comer, out in Brunswick. Yeah. I think he's a Brunswick boy. I oh, love, love, love the area of Brunswick. Yeah. Big fan. <laughs> um, anyone else bring to mind for you? 
Not really. Um, I'm just, I, I'm solely just thinking about Collingwood players, to be totally honest, and I can't really think of many. Uh, I think Matt Egan uh, played for Geelong. He didn't play too many games. Uh, yep. And he uh, won All-Australian in like 07. Yep. And more recently, he's um, when Heard got uh, sacked or resigned or whatever was the official thing, um, he coached, he was a caretaker coach for Essendon for a couple of games. And I think right, okay. he might have... He's, yeah, that's how I know him. He moved to Melbourne. Yep. Uh, and I did work experience at Melbourne. I had a good chat to him. Uh, good bloke, Matt Egan. Big shout out. Uh, one, another one that just seeing as it was recently just Anzac Day, um, Mark McGough, Anzac medal winner. Fair and enough. I don't know how many seasons after that yeah. he lasted, but <laughs> I think that was like his second or third game. He wins the Anzac Day medal as a 17-year-old and then I don't think much happened, but... Definitely <laughs> very successful in a short amount of time. You know who probably thinks he's one of the greatest of all time, didn't play too many games? Fitzy. Fitzy. Oh, but like that's uh, sort of a, a very successful career outside of footy. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like definitely but very. I think he had lots of like knee injuries and stuff. That's a yeah, I, I, I remember listening to an interview with him on the Junk Time podcast. And yeah, very interesting interview if you want to check it out. Would love to have him on the podcast. So Fitzy, if you are listening. Yeah. Uh be a pleasure to have you on, mate. Uh, just give us an email. Uh, anyone else? Yeah, not really. People are going to be screaming at their phones yeah. right now thinking of if their favourite If anyone comes to hero. mind, make sure you get in touch with us on our socials or at Twitter and Instagram, WDWBpod. Our email is wheredowebeginpod at gmail.com and Facebook, where do we begin with a question mark or facebook.com slash WDWBpod. So let us know who your favourites are. Yeah, and remember to check out the back catalogue. We've got a few episodes out at this point, so remember to check out the back catalogue if you haven't. Make sure you get involved. If you can, get involved with our Patreon because it would be massively appreciated. Help us out on our little podcasting adventure. You can sign up for just three US dollars a month or you can go all the way up to 15 if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so loads of exclusive benefits. You've got competitions. We've got little behind-the-scenes stuff. Heaps of stuff. Go check it out. Patreon.com slash WDWBpod. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a shout-out. Anything else? No, that's it. Cheers. See ya. See ya.